Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation. You can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find us under the Burnt Orange Nation podcast feed. We love to hear your feedback. You can subscribe wherever you find podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, all of the major players. Again, we're under the Burnt Orange Nation podcast. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I am joined on the Internet's only Texas men's tennis podcast by a man who is not actually here Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you, man? Um, through the marvels of time travel, I am fantastic. As I record this, I sit here um, not a married man. By the time you hear this, I will be on a beach in Barbados sipping a rum punch with a wedding band on my finger. So I'm great, but imagine me sitting on the beach. I'm unbelievably great. Uh, as you listen to this, listeners, hello from the future. Now, if you don't know this about me, my dad is from Barbados. He moved to the United States in 1973. Um, so I've got some recommendations. Chefette, it's basically the Barbados or the Bayesian is what it's called. Uh, Bayesian fast food McDonald's kind of situation yes. uh, where you can get a roti from a fast food establishment, which is basically a curry burrito. It's incredible. So check that out. Uh, and rum punch is the right right drink to be drinking on the beach in Barbados. They... Um, I knew I knew the resort I wanted to go back because the last time we went, as we waited to check in, they just handed me a rum punch. Didn't ask if I wanted one, just <laughs> placed one in my hands. Fantastic. I'm very much enjoying that right now as you listen to this. That's what's happening. Love it. So we have a quick show for you. We want to make sure we kept our pace uh, in spite of Kyle not actually being here. So uh, we're going to have our West Virginia interview. But before that, we have to comment on this because it's really on brand for us. In a radio appearance that was in no way, shape, or form uh, in any connection to both the state and University of Texas, uh, Baker Mayfield was prompted to take a couple of shots at the University of Texas. And like the classy individual he was, he took shots at the University of Texas and as a grown professional paid football player took shots at a junior because their high schools played each other and one of their high schools did not beat the other one. So there's a lot to be said, but it can be summed up in um, two words, rent free. <laughs> uh, I love that. No, he, he said something about their high schools. I believe he said Drew Brees and Nick Foles are the best quarterbacks to come out of there, which is fair at this point. They are playing in the NFL. That's, Super Bowl MVPs, both of them. Yeah, I mean, Drew Brees is, is without a doubt the best quarterback to ever come out of, of Austin, one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Uh, if Baker Mayfield got to shine his shoes, that would be an impressive honor for, for the kid. Um, let's remember Baker Mayfield has, like, at this point in his career, I think, like, five wins or three, five, I don't know, somewhere in there in the NFL. So, I mean, just keep talking. I, I don't really know. He, he, he went to um, the rival school, obviously, where their best two quarterbacks to graduate from there, Garrett Gilbert and Todd Reesing. So I don't know what he's talking about. Um, no, I mean, I just it shows the type of person that Baker Mayfield is. It shows the type of fan base that Oklahoma is that they choose to rally around this guy when he repeatedly is a – uh, he puts the, the dirt in dirt bag instead of dirt burglars, as we typically get from the Oklahoma suitors. So stay classy, Baker Mayfield. We're all fans of hoping you win zero games and return the Cleveland Browns to being the Cleveland Browns. 
I've never ordered an NFL jersey, but Baker Mayfield's comments make me want to buy any Cincinnati Bengals defender jersey <laughs> that's available on the market. Like who? Like I'm great with it. He's not. He's not content to piss off his teammates, um, but he wants to just piss everybody off. Which I guess when you thrive on being an underdog, um, and you have to manufacture it. Because you don't have the intestinal fortitude to do it on your own. That's just my own personal opinion on uh, on that. Again, grown man, grow up. And just like you shouldn't tweet at recruits, you shouldn't take shots at amateurs when you're a professional. That's, that is all I've got to say about that. I just picture Malik Jefferson in a weight room somewhere speeding up his injured reserve rehab uh, to take that shot himself as professional too professional so there's your cincinnati Bengals jersey and please malik unleash the predator on this knucklehead we are 67 days away from kickoff so we are now a couple of weeks into our big 12 previews we're finally in conference play and just because this is how it works out we're gonna dig up some more old wounds this week we are previewing the west virginia mountaineers and we have the distinct pleasure of having matt kirchner from the uh, smoking musket uh matt how are you doing today i'm doing well thanks for having me on guys how are you guys doing oh fantastic yeah i am uh, on a beach in barbados so i'm living the dream right now time travel is a beautiful thing so kyle and i both have mixed mixed feelings about how last year's uh west virginia game how it turned out i was there it was simultaneously incredible an incredible game if my team wasn't playing it but anywho um that's either here nor there so probably the the biggest story of the offseason for West Virginia is at least for those of us outside of the West Virginia know is kind of the abrupt coaching change with uh Dana Holgerson leaving for uh Houston and bringing Neil Brown in as the offensive coordinator, Brown led Troy to its best season since uh, joining the FBS. So what are the expectations for Brown in his first year, uh, kind of taking over a program that, that wasn't in bad shape, and kind of a program that has some some talent there to, to work with? So I want to start off with this. The fan base as a whole, extremely excited about Neil Brown. He gives you that folksy dabbo vibe a little bit when he talks and boosters eat it up in the way they never did with anything Dana said you're getting that you know sort of coaching change cliche of culture change Mm. but I think the biggest thing for this coming season it's a year zero it's a very very solid year zero for Neil Brown Um, (laughs) a lot of the reason why Dana took that job in Houston was that he probably got an ultimatum by Shane Lyons, the AD at West Virginia, that if he didn't win eight or nine games with the squad that he has coming up, he was probably gone. So looking at it from that perspective, Dana takes um, Tillman Fertitta's money, Mm -hmm. gets to avoid being fired. Because eight or nine wins isn't happening. I don't think there are a ton of expectations from a win or loss perspective in Neil Brown in year one. I think at this point, a lot of the fan base is would be ecstatic with a bowl season this year. Okay. Well, I mean, 
Yeah, yeah, well, and and I can tell you, uh, I know it for sure isn't for the the better moonshine. I'm in Houston myself, and and it's it's nowhere near as good here. Um, but uh, you, the the other thing that that you don't have and and you know have to replace and is almost an impossible thing to do is uh, turning over not just the staff but Will Greer not coming back, one of the best quarterbacks in school history, and honestly one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch um, last season with, without a doubt. Um, you bring in. Austin Kendall, which is a pretty huge uh, get, is he kind of the surefire starter this year? Should we expect to see him under center all year? So that was the expectation going in with the transfer. But Austin Kendall impressed Neil Brown so much in spring practice that they immediately brought in Jared Doge at the beginning of the summer. I don't think anybody really came in and straight up won that quarterback competition in the spring so i do surprisingly think it's still wide open between austin kendall and jack allison going into fall and that's not a good thing i think you got the sense that neil wanted austin kendall to come in and win it straight up in spring just blow him away and it didn't happen so that's a year one not backfire. Kendall still has a lot of potential to be pretty good, but he's not stepping in and being anywhere close to what Will Greer did. Obviously, unless you're Oklahoma, you don't win, lose a quarterback like Will Greer and get better. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah, um, not great. <laughs> it's the early sort of return from Austin Kendall. So is Doge going to be like immediately eligible? Like I, I doesn't this... see doesn't seem like it. Okay. Um, as of right now, you never know with the way the NCAA rules on transfers. It's kind of a coin flip if he decides he wants to appeal for eligibility. But rather than getting Austin Kendall and just sort of having him cement himself as the guy going forward for the next couple of years bringing in somebody who will compete for and probably be the front runner for the starting job in 2020 when Austin Kendall will still have eligibility is a red flag. Well, and and it's interesting. You just listed three quarterbacks who are all transfers in with Austin Kendall, Uh, Jack Allison, I believe is Miami and and, uh, Doge is is Bowling Green. Um, So it's interesting because I kind of was was thinking about this team with the amount of players transferring out with the coaching change. Um, Is it basically coming out to a a net even with transfers in or is there a worry about I think it's something like 15 I heard players that have had their names in the portal since January. Is that is that a, a worry? Not as much as you would think there was there wasn't a lot as much immediate transition as you would have thought when you have a coaching change, he kept mm-hmm. the roster mostly together through spring and got a chance to sort of figure out who he wanted okay. as his guys. I guess a lot of the transfers, especially the high profile may have a little bit more academics behind them than a program fit or a disagreement with Neil Brown. There's not a lot of information there mm. beyond the big-name transfers that are Pitts, the Kenny Robinsons, um, Marcus Sims, may be more on the academic side than they are a desire to get away from the program, which is its own issue. 
Absolutely. So staying in that realm, the Mountaineers lost quite a bit at wide receiver just to be honest. You know, Sills is gone, Jennings is gone, and then Dylan Spaulding and Marcus Sims transferred out. TJ Simmons comes in uh, from Alabama, which is never bad to pick up a kid from Alabama. But what does that what does that receiving core look like then for for the Mountaineers? Because it seems like um, this is an offense that can you know, use about seventeen different receivers, and they're all not really a drop off from one to another. Yeah, they bring back one and a half receivers that have actually had live production. Um, <laughs> TJ Simmons played last year, did pretty well. Wasn't a game breaker by any means, but has above average hands, um, good grasp of a route tree. He'll do damage next year. And then Tevin Bush um, is a little bit of the Tavon Austin kind of role Mm -hmm. he is the tiny guy that we will design ways to give the ball and he'll be faster than the other people on the field if this offense is going to succeed they're either going to have some redshirt freshman receivers come out out of nowhere or they're going to run the ball 35 times a game because where the talent is in returning skill players on this offense is the running back core They bring back everybody from an extremely talented crop. Uh, Kennedy McCoy, Martel Petaway, Alex Sinkfield. They're all back. They've all produced in a variety of ways. I think you're going to see a lot of heavy pistol. Okay. (laughs) And then maybe somebody, Sam James, played in the bowl game with the new redshirt rule, which is great for situations like that. For sure. He played well, had a good spring. I think you'll see him start outside. And then they have another redshirt freshman, Bryce Wheaton, who gives them some size. He'll get some snaps as well. But it's a big question mark. I think there's going to be opportunities for guys to step up and emerge really quickly. And if they pan out, it's great going forward. But with the uncertainty that they're the rough schedule, it all comes together and just screams year zero. In, in uh, Absolutely. You have a little bit to build off of talking about the running game um, with four offensive linemen, I believe, returning. But, you know, replacing a guy like Yadni Kajish, who I, I think going in the third round may have even been a value pick for the Patriots. He was a guy who every time I watched West Virginia play for years, it felt like he was, he was just a monster out there. Um, I think he got hurt in the Texas game, which I, I remember – kind of silently thinking like that's bad for him, but probably good for us. Um, I mean, how do you replace him? And, and is there just enough coming back that um, that will help aid whatever the, the running attack is going to look like? Yeah, they bring a lot back there and they're definitely going to lean on it to be the strength of the team. I think if you see big passing plays out of this team at all next year, it's going to be off play action. Mm. So experienced offensive line is always good. I will never claim to be an offensive line play expert, so I never (laughs) preach on it. But they bring a lot back, and that's generally a good sign for performance. Um, Interesting to see what a new offensive line coach does for them. I wasn't the biggest fan of Joe Wickline, but especially in short yardage, like guaranteed like high percentage run situations. 
and when we're a team this year that I think teams are going to be able to stack the box a little bit. We'll see how that goes. In in te- Texas has has felt you on the uh, on the Joe Wick line in the past. He's he's very uh, very good in the interview. I think a lot a lot of people love him, <laughs> but not the best offensive line coach probably. But I said, definitely not my position of expertise. So I won't ever try to give like long form lectures on offensive line play. But. <laughs> Yeah. They bring a good bit back, but replacing somebody like Kajust is always a challenge. And in worst case scenario, um, you know Matt Moore is a guy who has traveled with um, with Neil Brown for quite some time. So at least they have that relationship and that rapport, and that uh, they know each other quite well based on uh, a shared history of coaching together. Yeah, I think Neil did a good job at building his staff with a combination of guys who are there to recruit guys that have ties to him and know what he wants out of a program and a couple of guys uh, like Jaleel Adai and Travis Trickett that have West Virginia ties. So he did a very good job building that staff. I think you, you hear the name Trickett and you automatically think, uh, think West Virginia football, at least yes. uh, that's, for, for me, I heard, oh, okay, that, that completely makes sense. Uh, so another guy that um, Brown brought with him from from Troy's defensive coordinator, uh, Vic K- Koenig. Did I say that right? I, think. I believe it's Koenig. Yeah, I think it's Koenig. I would so, go 98% Koenig. Coach Vic is what we're going to call him for the sake of not having of to do that. So the it's great that, again, coaches that know each other and, and, and know what's expected. But with him brings a transition from a three, three, five to, to a four, two, five. And that is a, again, recipe for a year zero defensively. Cause you know, regardless of what people may think about the big 12, uh, the big 12 does play defense. And so what is it, what does it look like? Or what do you think the kind of biggest stump potential kind of pain point for this defensive unit is going to be as they transition uh, from you know schematically to to a more honestly traditional Big Twelve defense. Yeah, it's going to be weird. Um, the three three five in West Virginia has been sort of lockstep synonymous with each other for my whole football watching life, basically uh, since Jeff Castile came in with Rich Rod in two thousand one. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be weird seeing a new beast based defense there. It's not schematic because you're going to see a lot of that same sort of defensive backfield play. But obviously there are questions in the defensive backfield now that have been exasperated by transfers. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing schematically is finding those edge rushers you need in a true four man front in the three, three, five. A lot of your pass pressure came from blitzing and disguising your looks and now you're going to a more traditional edge rush kind of deal and really in the big 12 that's what separates the defenses is who can get to the quarterback because eventually everybody's going to move the ball on you everybody's going to score most of the time not to the fault of the defense but it's the teams that have the talent to win on the edge and get to the quarterback that make the difference in the league and that 
be where you're going to be looking at. I think they did a good job recruiting on the edge with some Juco players that can come in and play immediately. Um, another Alabama transfer, um, Vandarius Cohen's, should come in and start right away and provide some pass rush. But to me, that's really what you have to look at when you're going from a three-three-five stack to a more and, traditional base nickel. Okay, and Vandarius Cohen is a fantastic name, but there is one name that I have to have to ask about, and then we won't pry too too much more. Um, but how do you replace first team all? Big 12 safety and probably the best player on that defense in Kenny Robinson, especially when, you know, that's still a five defensive back and, and probably Derek Pitts, the guy who's going to start next to him are both gone. Um, I mean, do you, are you just less aggressive? Do you, I mean, wh- wh- what can you do or how, how do you, how do you look to replace that? It's tough. You don't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It, yeah. You have two, four stars that are going to play a lot, a red shirt freshman um, out of El Equipa. It's a football factory up in pittsburgh quantrell reigns and then you have tyreek smith that you're gonna rely on freshmen to play a lot Mm. young guys are gonna be put in the burner (laughs) immediately and get the chance to fill that spot i know a lot of west virginia fans myself included have a lot of high hopes for um quantrell reigns i he comes from a high school with a huge football pedigree. Anytime you're able to go into Aliquippa and beat out, um, used to be Pitt, now it's more Penn State, um, Ohio State, for a player, you always count as a victory because you know they're going to generally have a good career. So I think he is going to get that first crack as a redshirt sophomore, or redshirt freshman, rather, to come in and replace that. But again, it's hard, and the theme of everything leading up to this season is it's a year zero. <laughs> There's so many moving parts of this, so many things changing. Honestly, the more I think about it, one of the biggest early tests for Neil Brown's program is going to be making sure that Tony Gibson does not come into Morgantown in week two as NC State's defensive coordinator and shut them down. It's one of those uh, years where you sort of have to compartmentalize. It's a brutal schedule for a year zero. Anytime you have 11 power fives, it's tough. And Shane Lyons has made a point to do that. I think we're set to have 11 power fives on the schedule all but one year for the next decade. Wow. So we've scheduled up and just mm-hmm. everything together. Year zero. Which if if West Virginia can get things moving in the right direction, that's the way to kind of shut the Big 12 doesn't play defense and naysayers down, right? It's like you play a bunch of Power 5 schools. Chris Del Conte at Texas uh, is doing a similar thing moving forward. You'll see... LSU, Alabama, Florida, you know, Big Ten, SEC schools uh, on the schedule quite regularly moving forward. I think across the Big 12, because um, idiotic talk track <laughs> continues to ring through uh, college football. Yeah, it's almost doubly important for West Virginia fans because our Power 5 rush has came through a sort of mandate to get the old traditional rivals back on the schedule. So, and there's 
we have Maryland and Virginia Tech, um, Pitt, Penn State, two straight years where we have Pitt and Penn State on the out-of-conference schedule. Um, they have Alabama coming up in sometime far in the future, 2026, I think. But when you're you have a fan base that wants these traditional rivals back on, it's hard to do it without making the schedule brutal. And that's the choice they made. And and I think that that kind of brings us naturally to the next point. So we prepped you for most of these questions we just gave you. And one of the things we're doing um, is we are throwing a couple of rapid fires at you. Last year we did a over under inappropriately rated segment. Uh, this year we're doing rapid fire. And um, you talked about rivals for West Virginia. Um and so one of the things that we're having all of these people do, because we're, we're a podcast all about bringing people together. Um, so we want you to have to kind of dig down deep. And if you had to say one nice thing about the University of Pittsburgh, what would it be? Uh, my wife went there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Done. That was easy. That- that might be my favorite one so far, um, and just so quick. Um, so you you are you are trained well. I I respect that. I'm marrying a Baylor Bear, so I, I get it. I understand how that goes. Um, all right, so I, I'm going to jump in now um, to to mine, and this is very on brand for our listeners who know me. Um, you have a player on your defense um, named Zach Sandwich, I believe is how you pronounce that. And sandwich sandwich is a wonderful food, a wonderful name. But we have those in Texas. They have those in California. Those are everywhere. If you were to name a player, if you got a chance to rename Zach Sandwich with the most West Virginia food that you could think of, what would you name him? Zach Tudor's Biscuit Rocket Special. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was holding out for Zach Pepperoni Roll, but that's fantastic. That's very specific. Tell me about this dish. So... Tudor's Biscuit World, if you ever make the voyage to Morgantown, is a West Virginia tra- chain of breakfast um, biscuit sandwiches that are as large as your face. The Rocket Special is a piece of steak that has a hash brown on it. Yes. I believe um, you feel like you're dying for about three days after it. Oh. It's a Spencer Hall favorite. That sounds so good. I'm I'm currently looking at I'm currently looking at the the website of uh, Tudor's Biscuit World and the Hungry Man's Platter seems to be calling my name. It's probably what. Yeah, it's a magical place. If you ever do make the trip to Morgantown, there is one within walking distance of the stadium. Added to my phone's notes section. Love it, love it. Okay, so uh, next rapid fire question. So last year when we did our our West Virginia interview, we found out that porch couches are illegal in the state of West Virginia because of uh, the couch burning fiascos of the past. So yeah, I was in school for the couch abatement when it happened. I was in junior, <laughs> I think, and senior. I think it was the week we had our LSU home game. Yeah, we had college. <laughs> Oh, we had college game day that week. I think that's when they put the furniture abatement through. The furniture abatement. This is two weeks in a row that we've gotten really good podcast names. So if you're a West Virginia fan and you're looking to start a sports podcast, the furniture abatement may be the name to go with. Um, so what's what's one more like if if there was a, a shocking thing, something that you think is going to shock people um, that about either West Virginia or or um, the, both the state or the university? What's one thing that like people would be surprised to find out about? 
And besides, there's been a 15 foot python loose in Morgantown for two weeks and nobody's found it. <laughs> so I think I'll go with that. God bless him. God bless him. That's that's incredible. I love I'm so glad that y'all are in the Big 12. I just want to say that on the record. Y'all are great. Um, all right. So I think we'll we'll wrap up with this one. Um <laughs> There's a, there's a, a a town in Texas very um, not well known but very distinguished called Shirts, Texas. It's the 100th largest city in the state at 31,465. Happened to produce both Gerald and I. The 100th largest in the state at 31,465. Depending on the the growth since the 2010 census, that could be bigger. As could Morgantown. Morgantown would probably fit in just behind that as the 100 and first largest city in Texas. As someone who lives in West Virginia, can you imagine 100 places bigger than the center of culture for the state of West Virginia? Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, man. So, uh, on that, like, I don't know what else to say to yeah, that. I got so, nothing. so, Matt, if, if our listeners want some more of what you have to offer, man, where can they find you? Uh, on the internet. So we are on smokingmusket.com. Um, I run the Twitter at smokingmusket, where I sometimes talk about sports, mostly talk about anything else. Um, my personal is at mkirchner12. And we have a few podcasts. Um, myself and Michael Miller, our site manager, host uh, West by Pod Virginia. Mm. Uh, we just finished um, our Game of Thrones recap show, Westeros by Pod Virginia. If you want to, for some <laughs> and relive season eight of game of thrones nope go through that and we are about to start our summer podcast series where we are tackling not really the best games in west virginia sports history but some of the weirdest and we are calling it mountaineer science theater 3000 so very nice we will have some fun with that this summer i think we are recording sometime soon um, the 2008 uh, Meineke Car Care Bowl, which was Pat White's last game mm. as West Virginia quarterback. They played UNC, won by a point, and Hakeem Nix for UNC scored, I think, every time he touched the ball. <laughs> so <laughs> that well, is how a, we're starting. That's perfect. That's worth a listen, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. You were a fantastic guest, and we uh, look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for having me.